102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Megan Shackleton of One Love Foundation about the 10 signs of healthy and unhealthy relationship. Thank you for joining me today on Spark, Megan. Before we talk about the signs of healthy and unhealthy relationship, can you please tell us about One Love and why it was started? I'm happy to, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, so One Love is a nonprofit that was founded in memory of a woman named Yardley Love. Yardley was a senior at the University of Virginia in 2010 when, about three weeks before her graduation, she was beaten to death by her ex-boyfriend. And when it happened, her family really thought it was a random act of violence, something that couldn't have been avoided or controlled, just an act of passion. Um, and that was largely because Yardley was the furthest thing in their mind from what they would have considered a quote-unquote victim of domestic violence. She was strong. She was independent. She was a D1 lacrosse player. She was everyone's best friend. And so they really um, didn't even conceptualize the idea that this could have been relationship abuse. And it really wasn't until two years later when the family went through the trial that they started really understanding what Yardley had gone through. They had started hearing their friends take the witness stand and talk about the trajectory of the relationship and some of the signs that they had seen throughout the relationship, particularly aspects of emotional abuse, things like volatility and anger and manipulation and control and jealousy. And uh, they also had experts in the room who started um, validating that these are actually the typical early warning signs of an abusive abusive relationship. Uh, they also The experts also shared that the statistics that one in three women and one in four men will be in an abusive relationship in their lifetime, which blew them away. But I think the stat that hit them the hardest was that women between the ages of 16 and 24 are three times more likely than any other demographic to be in an abusive relationship. And so when they heard this, I think, it, again, it really sh- shattered their, their stereotypes of what it means to be um, in a domestic violence situation. They had sort of thought of it as being... Um, married couples later in life, behind closed doors, when in reality, many young people are experiencing abusive relationships and unhealthy behaviors in their first and second relationships, which then sets them up on a trajectory thinking that that's what a relationship should be and that's what they should expect in, in, in love. So it sounds like that most people didn't think about the signs till it was too late. And when you say one out of three, that's really high. Yeah, it it is. It's, I think, a lot higher than many people realized. Does that set the tone, then, for future relationships? Definitely. I mean, I think, especially early in, in relationships, we're not taught how to love or how to be in relationships. And so when, when young people are experiencing this early in their relationships, they come to think that that's what healthy that's what that's what a relationship is and that's what love is um they it's very easy to confuse the type of passion that can be experienced in an abusive relationship with extreme love um 
It happens and to young men, too, correct? It does. It does. I mean, the statistics are that one in three women and one in four men will be in an abusive relationship, and um, that's inclusive of emotional, sexual, and physical abuse. Um, and so many young men are experiencing this as well. So it sounds like isn't something that's commonly understood since it's you had mentioned just now that it most people think of it as being closed doors in in married relationships mostly or domestic violence and it may be more common in first and second relationships than most people would think exactly exactly and i think that's what yardley's family came to realize was that she had experienced these signs and that what they realized is that had had she, her friends, or or her family really understood what those early warning signs look like and, and the prevalence of these of these abusive situations, and really, more importantly, had the tools to actually start a conversation about them, that she would probably be alive today. And so that's actually the reason our organization was founded, was to give people the education about, about the statistics, about the signs, really understanding these early warning signs. But also equally important is understanding what it means to be in a healthy relationship and what we deserve and expect in a re- and, and should expect in a relationship to be able to help young people um, be set up for a trajectory where where our communities aren't standing for these types of behaviors um, and and where we're embracing and supporting and nurturing healthy relationships. It sounds like it also applies to adults. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean. The, Relationship abuse does not discriminate. It is a situ- it's an issue that is prevalent across age, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic class. Um, and so, yes, these understanding these signs is critical for people of all ages. Um, and our hope as an organization is that by educating people younger, they, they will be going into the world with a different lens through which they see all of their relationships and recognizing what they deserve and can expect and what they shouldn't stand for. Um, I actually think it's really powerful what Yardley's mom said when we were founded, which is sort of our North Star as an organization, which is that she wants to do for relationship violence what Mothers Against Drunk Driving did for drunk driving, which is two things. The first is to stigmatize the behaviors and make it socially unacceptable that we be demonstrating these unhealthy behaviors in our communities that we've sort of come to normalize. And the second is to give bystanders the ability to take away the keys. So that really reinforces the importance of everyone in a community and everyone who surrounds a person in a relationship. That includes it includes their peers and friends. It includes teachers and parents and coaches. Um, and as adults, our, our friends and our community and our coworkers and our network, um, because we really believe that everyone plays a role in helping support their community um, to recognize and and. Um, when these unhealthy signs uh, arise and also to support them to be in healthy relationships. Okay, so let's talk about the 10 signs of a healthy and unhealthy relationship. Yes. So our organization, One Love, has really rooted its educational content and experience for young people in what we call the 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship and the 10 signs of a healthy relationship. So I'll start by reading through the 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship um, and we'll dive into a few in particular and then the, the, the healthy relationship behaviors. So the 10 unhealthy relationship behaviors include intensity, possessiveness, isolation, sabotage, manipulation, belittling, guilting, volatility, deflecting responsibility, 
and betrayal. And I'll dive into a few. Um, they're in particular in abusive relationships. They typically start out very quickly. So intensity is a very early sign that people see in abusive relationships. They um, escalate very quickly. They become very intense. You experience strong um, and over-the-top emotions and, and, and feelings coming from somebody that might be overwhelming for one of the partners, um, which then tends to translate into this sense of possessiveness and control and really wanting to spend all of your time with somebody, and, and which quickly becomes uh, isolation, which is, a, again, another relatively early warning sign where um, uh, people often will experience sort of the phrase, because I love you, um, as a manipulation tool to get somebody to spend all their time together or to get their practice for their sports team or to not spend time with their best friends or their family. And so you quickly see um, people in these relationships being isolated from their core community and their, the things that they love. Uh, another really important sign that we, that we speak with young people in depth about is volatility, which is really the best way to describe it is um, when you have that feeling of walking on, needing to walk on eggshells around somebody that they could explode at any moment. And there's, there's unpredictability of um, behavior and emotion that can come on very strong. It also is a feeling that the relationship is like a roller coaster with very high highs and low lows um, that can just be, again, overwhelming and intense and challenging to navigate. So what you're saying is having a roller coaster effect isn't really healthy as maybe many people think of it as like, wow, it's, it's passion. It's this high. I hit this high when I'm with him or her and I hit this low when I'm not. It's not really healthy to think of it that way. Exactly. Exactly. And I think um, popular media has conveyed this sense that uh, extreme passion is, is equitable to love, which uh, it really is not, and there. And it's not to say that we don't want healthy passion in our relationships, and there should be moments of passion and, and those experiences. But the extreme, these extreme behaviors and extreme sentiments, um, really typically are are signs of an unhealthy relationship, uh, particularly when it's making one person in the, in the relationship feel uncomfortable. So that's one of the biggest pieces that we address: is that the there's no black and white line for all of these. So much of it comes down to what makes you in the relationship feel comfortable and happy and safe and secure and understanding that those extreme behaviors, even when they're romanticized in popular media and around us in our society, um, are likely overwhelming and intense for some people, for, for most people, um, and signs that we should be addressing in our relationship. Um, you were talking about intensity, correct? Yes, yes. So possessiveness, it, it all kind of starts to intertwine, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. So there's, I've spoken about a, a few of the signs, like I said, um, intensity and um, isolation, which comes soon after, and volatility, another unhealthy relationship behavior that we often speak about is uh, just that didn't see a little bit more explanation around is deflecting responsibility. So um, somebody who's making excuses for their behaviors and using other, um, blaming blaming their behaviors or what they're doing or their actions on other other people, even potentially alcohol or drugs, and and 
not taking responsibility for for their actions, um, especially when they are um, extreme. So often, you know, coming out of a big fight or out of um, really unhealthy behaviors, using excuses to, to justify those um, those behaviors. Okay, what are the ten signs of a healthy relationship then? <laughs> Equally important, if not more important, are the healthy relationship behaviors. So I will say, as um, most of the unhealthy relationship behaviors are rooted in this core aspect of control, and so people who are abusive tend to be seeking control over their partner, the 10 signs of a healthy relationship really are rooted in healthy, healthy communications and the ability to really have open, honest communication. So the 10 signs of a healthy relationship are comfortable pace, trust, honesty, independence, respect, equality, kindness, taking responsibility, healthy conflict, and fun. So a few of those that I'll, that I'll point out in particular, comfortable pace is one that we often don't think about, but it sort of is the flip side to intensity, which is that a relationship should be moving at a pace that's comfortable for both people. Um, and so making sure that it is not something that's being accelerated or rushed and that you're not rushing to say, I love you or feeling pressured in any way is a really important early sign of a relationship. And again, that often requires communication. And so somebody might be rushing a relationship who's not intending to be controlling or unhealthy. And it just takes having that conversation to say, you know, I'd be more comfortable slowing down and being able to communicate that is really important. Another healthy behavior that's really important is independence. It's critical that in it sort of is, again, sort of flip side to isolation. The, the most healthy relationships are ones where we embrace and support our partner in all, all that they do in, separately from us. And so being able to support our partners to uh, continue in all of their passions and pursuits and to continue and maintain their great relationships with their friends and family and to be respectful of their friends and family and the people around them. And so it's perfectly healthy to want to spend a ton of time with your partner and that's great, and we love that, but also being really respectful of the fact that um, it, you shouldn't necessarily be spending all your time together, and you need to continue to make space for um, the life and the person that they were before they met you, because that's really what helps those people to, to flourish and be strong in a relationship. That's a great point, to be able to lead two separate lives at the same time still. Yeah, it's um, it's so important, and, and being able to... Um, both allow for that and really encourage it. And, you know, I think we're, we're all stronger when we are multifaceted people who are um, uh, engaging in different types of activities and, and then coming together with our partners to be able to reflect on those and learn together and, and support each other to, to have those separate lives while also building a life together, I think is, um, is incredibly important. What about taking responsibility? What kind of responsibility should one be taking that's healthy? That's a great one. Um, it, it, taking responsibility in some ways really ties to healthy conflict, um, that things are going to go wrong and we're going to do things wrong and we're going to make mistakes. But in a healthy relationship, we take responsibility for those mistakes. One thing that we often say to young people is it's being able to apologize without saying but afterwards. <laughs> being able to recognize that, you know, we do. there are times where we might do something wrong. We might these unhealthy behaviors or hurt our partner in a way that we didn't mean to, but being able to take responsibility and own the fact that um, we were to blame for something 
um, and not trying to deflect that responsibility onto somebody else, something else, or make excuses for it um, is, is very important. We, we intentionally rooted in signs of unhealthy behaviors and didn't, we don't, we intentionally don't call these signs of abuse because the reality is that as I read through those unhealthy behaviors, my assumption is that 100% of listeners can associate with having done one, if not all, of those behaviors at some point in their life, maybe even in the last 24 hours. <laughs> these are things that we all do, and, and that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad partner. It doesn't make you an abusive partner. Um, but what we strongly believe on a healthy side is that in a healthy relationship, you can address those unhealthy behaviors. You can start a conversation about them. And we really, our entire organization is rooted on the belief that everyone has the ability to love better. And it, it's part of what makes this a really healthy and productive conversation for young people because we're not accusing anybody of being abusive. What we're saying is that we want to create communities where we all are striving to do better um, and recognizing when those unhealthy behaviors arise and recognizing the healthy behaviors we want to work on in our relationships. And those are relationships that might be romantic relationships, but they also might be friendships or family relationships or work relationships. These are, these are signs that we want everyone taking with them throughout their days every day and thinking about how we can all improve the way we treat each other and really focus on amplifying these healthy behaviors and, and addressing those that are unhealthy when they arise. We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Keep real radio alive, people. Live, local, real radio. That's why you're here listening to KXSF, right? On 102.5 FM San Francisco. We give you more of what you want. Music and programming curated by actual human beings who live locally in your neighbourhoods. Plus live music and interviews with local artists and bands. But to stay on the air, KXSF really needs your help. Donate now to KXSF by going online to www kxsf.fm and clicking on donate it's a hundred percent tax deductible keep real radio alive in san francisco and donate now everyone thank you so much 102.5 fm kxsflp san francisco and kxsf.fm you're tuned into spark informing minds inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Back to the conversation about healthy relationships with Megan Shackleton. So how does one have a difficult conversation then when something is bothering him or her in a relationship? What's the best way to handle it? And it's a great question. And really, again, rooted in the fact that the healthy healthy relationships, the basis for healthy relationship is open and honest and healthy communication. And so um, the first sign is just actually being comfortable starting that conversation. If you're in a relationship where you're experiencing unhealthy behaviors and you're scared to talk to your partner about it or when you broach the subject, they're defensive and accusatory and um, or aggressive, that's a sign that there's something deeper, that these unhealthy behaviors um, might not be things that are um, they're in a position to be able to address in a, in a relatively straightforward way. But the, the conversation really comes back to sort of what we learn in elementary school around I statements, really focusing on the way these behaviors make you feel. Um, no one can argue with our emotions and our feelings and being able to say, you know, when you did 
X or Y, it really didn't make me feel comfortable or it made me upset or it made me angry. And being able to use that as a basis for a conversation is really important. And, you know, your partner might highlight unhealthy things that you've done that make them uncomfortable. And being able to, again, take responsibility and, and own those behaviors and, and recognize we might not be able to fix them overnight, but that we're going to work on them is a sign of a healthy relationship. Um, and so just being able to broach that conversation. What are the healthy conversations that we should be having? And what about boundaries that one needs to set? How, how do you set them in these healthy conversations? It's a great conversation. And I think boundaries are something that we don't talk enough about early enough with young people. And again, are relevant across the relationships in our lives. And being comfortable starting those conversations is critical. And being able to recognize, do some internal reflection and understand what your boundaries really are. Something we don't think a lot about but we all have personal boundaries. And when you're in a relationship with somebody, there's, it's very easy to, to um, cross lines across people's boundaries if they aren't communicated. You can't expect both partners to understand where somebody's um, comfort level is if it's not communicated. So there's a range of types of boundaries. Boundaries include technology boundaries, being clear on what you're comfortable with in terms of um, uh your comfort level with your own technology devices and the way you communicate, communication boundaries, um, which often sort of ties to texting, or I mean to technology boundaries, your comfort level with uh, uh, volume of interaction and communication and um, time, time of responsiveness. So one of the, we often see young people engaging in these very intense relationships quickly and, and texting at all hours of the day and, uh, feeling that if they're not responding to the partner fast enough, their partner's going to be upset or that they need to be texting all day long or on the phone all night long. And it's really important to be able to set those boundaries up front and be able to explicitly say, you know, after a certain hour, I'm not comfortable being, you know, I have to do my homework at a certain point, <laughs> you know, and then I'm not able to respond. Or um, when I'm out with my friends, I probably won't be responding as frequently or as regularly. And, and just being able to, to make those statements is really important. And also sexual boundaries, which even when you're a very important thing to educate young people about and adults is that even when you're in a relationship, you're allowed to set boundaries and you should be setting boundaries in terms of what you're comfortable with sexually. And, um, and those boundaries can be changed, but being explicit about those boundaries is really important around what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with um, and feeling like the relationship is moving at a pace that's comfortable for you. Um, there are also finance, financial boundaries um, around how much money partners might be spending on one another or um, in the relationship or how they're using financial um, tools. So there's a number of different types of boundaries, but again, all of this comes down to communication. And then the flip side of this is respect. Um, you can set boundaries, but boundaries only matter if you're actually respecting one another's boundaries. And so if you're sharing your boundaries, you should equally be asking your partner's boundaries and be um, enthusiastic about supporting and respecting those boundaries, even when they might not fully align with what your expectations are or what your hopes are in the relationship. If, if a partner um, is would prefer less communication, that's something that, that's an important conversation to have and to respect. That is not an easy conversation. It's not. It's not. And um, But I think one of the things we hear from young people is the hardest thing is starting the conversation. And sometimes it feels awkward or it feels like an uncomfortable thing to bring up because honestly, it's just not something that we've normalized as part of our relationships. 
But what we hear is that once you start having the conversation, it's, it's a really refreshing conversation to have because you realize that, again, you both have boundaries and they might be in different places, but, um, but being able to communicate them and, and get on the same page is so important early on in a relationship because, you know, it's not fair to be angry at a partner down the road when they're doing something that they, they couldn't have known makes you upset or that you're not comfortable with if you haven't told them that up front. So um, it's never too late and it's always important to have these conversations, but we really encourage um, and, and what we hear from young people is that um, it is a much easier conversation to have sooner. And once they start the conversation, it creates a dynamic between the partners where that's a normal thing to discuss and something that they can incorporate throughout the relationship. Because, again, our boundaries might evolve and change over time. Um, but we need to be able to communicate those to our partner. That's a really good point. I'm curious that even though most people recognize unhealthy relationship signs, in other people's situations, they don't seem to be able to recognize in their own relationships. Why is this? It's a really great question. And it's, um, it, it can be very challenging to, un, to really understand what it is you're experiencing when you're deep in these relationships. Um, part of this is because abusive relationships typically start out as the best relationship you've ever had. It's usually incredible passion and extreme emotion in a way that people um, gravitate towards and are excited about. And it, it usually starts out wonderfully. And so there's, and they're typically sort of have this roller coaster effect where even coming out of fights, there, there can then be, or, or abusive behaviors, really amazing high period coming out of it. And so um, many people reflect back to that amazing state that's unlike any relationship they've been in and just want to come back to that and know that, and because they know that that's what the relationship can be, they, it's easier to ignore the unhealthy behaviors. It might be only 5% of the time, but it's still not okay and um, not something we should be shrugging off or ignoring. And so, you know, often these behaviors creep up on people. Um, again, things like isolation and manipulation often are couched under terms like, because I love you, I want to spend all my time with you, and I don't want you to spend time with your friends. Or because I love you, I I want to know who it is you're spending time with, or I want to tell you what to wear. You know, there's these behaviors don't come out in as starkly aggressive ways as they might sound. They're often couched in loving phrases or in again this sense of extreme passion. Um, and so it really is. It's you can be. You can be the most socially aware, brilliant, um, independent person and be quickly swept up in these situations. Again, I think it's so important to reinforce that there's no type of person that finds themselves in these situations um, because they really can sweep you off your feet in a way that it's almost like falling down the rabbit hole. You know that you just, once you lose, lose touch, it's really hard to get back out. Um, so then how does and, one recognize when... Be, an unhealthy sign becomes actual emotional abuse. So the way we sort of talk about the, the, the line between unhealthy behaviors and, and abuses are twofold. So there's, again, it's not a, it's not a hard black and white line, but it's, it's a combination of frequency of these behaviors and being a pattern of behaviors for what's underlying the behaviors, these controlling dynamics, um, the way that making somebody feel, again, we've, we talk a lot about trusting your gut and understanding how these behaviors are making you feel. 
and the way that your comfort level addressing these behaviors with your partner and the way they respond when you do. Um, and so one of the things that we really believe as an organization is that young people are finding themselves deep in these relationships and even adults because, because they didn't understand those early warning signs and, and, and which enabled them to sneak up on them where so much of our education is rooted on this early, early, early education to give people the tools to recognize those signs as they're entering relationships and know how to get out. Um, so how does one escalate for help then, which isn't easy, easy to do, right? So it, it's part of the reason that our education is rooted on everyone in a community and not just those who are in the relationship itself, because often friends will see these signs more quickly than the person in the relationship or more strongly. And one of the things we really encourage friends to do is to make it very clear that they are still there for their friends, even when their friend might be pushing them away and isolating and sort of being isolated from them or um, seeming like a not great friend, when you see your friend in these situations, recognizing that it might not be their choice or it might not be their fault, that there might be a partner that's controlling some of those behaviors, and really being present and there for your friends is critical. And, and being able to address this conversation in, in an open and honest way um, gets to your, your question about how you address this conversation when you're in the relationship is is identifying those those friends that are there for you and being able to, to start talk this start this conversation and really particularly for young people going to a trusted adult identifying the trusted adults in your life whether those are educators or parents or friends adults that can help you um, and ultimately it's critical when you're in these situations that you get help from an expert. There's amazing counseling support services often within schools. There are um, organizations that are focused on this work, domestic violence-related organizations and relationship abuse. We often say Yardley would have never called a domestic violence hotline. She would have never called if she was experiencing domestic violence. And so what we try to encourage young people to understand is that these resources, you shouldn't. it shouldn't take being hit in the face to be comfortable reaching out to domestic violence hotlines. These hotlines and these resources, like loveisrespect.org, is an amazing resource for young people. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, they're anonymous resources. There are texting approaches. There's, um, they really are accessible, but they really are important because often these relationships that are solely emotionally abusive can escalate to being physically abusive after a breakup. And so getting this help, even if you don't think you're in physical danger, is is really critical and cannot be underestimated. This is really helpful to understand. Time for a short break. We'll return more on creating healthy relationships. Support for KXSF-FM comes from Dress San Francisco, a fashion boutique located in the heart of the city's Marina District. Dress carries a wide range of contemporary clothing and jewelry designs with collections and styles to fit any occasion from work to weekend and daytime to nighttime. Dress is located at 2271 Chestnut Street between Scott and Pierce. Shop in-store or online at DressSanFrancisco.com. Thank you for your support of San Francisco Community Radio. FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, 
igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Megan Shackleton and I were talking about open communication and relationships before the break. So when is the most dangerous time in a relationship or the most when you really have to be watching what's going on? So the most the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is actually after the breakup. Um, in the weeks following a breakup, a woman's actually 70 times more likely to be killed by their partner than during the relationship. I think it's really important to note because the relationship may never have, have had any signs of physical abuse while in the relationship, but a breakup can spur um, an abusive partner this sense of the, the lack of control that they were trying to have over their partner has been lost in a breakup, and that can escalate into much more aggressive behaviors and, and violent behaviors, physically violent behaviors. And so it is extremely important that when you're um, about to break up with a partner who has demonstrated these um, unhealthy behaviors and that you're potentially concerned about, to create what, what is called a safety plan. Uh, a safety plan is one that we recommend you develop in partnership with an expert resource, so um, somebody, a counselor or a domestic violence support service um, uh, or a trusted adult, being able to really um, identify some really key things. So one is being very open about your, the fact that you're breaking up, telling, uh, we often say the three Ps, parents, peers, and the professional, <laughs> that you're going to be going through this breakup, breaking up in a public place um, where they're not likely able to be um, physically abusive, uh, and then thinking about a number of different factors, which, again, when you work with a, an expert can help work, help you walk through, but things like uh, if you're ch changing locks on your doors, if they have a key, or changing your schedule at school, if you have classes with them and, and feel like you, it would be beneficial for you to not be in the same schedule, um, creating a support system, making sure that you're not alone in the weeks after a breakup, really being surrounded and supported by friends and family. Um, so there's a number of different factors, but those are all some that are um, very important to consider. And again, we strongly recommend that uh, that that if you're about to, to break up with somebody and you've been experiencing those behaviors, that you work with an expert to make sure that you're really... It's, better safe than sorry at the end of the day. And so being really thoughtful about the breakup is incredibly, incredibly important. Okay, so you're making me think of when we first connected that you were saying that giving appropriate language to the conversation is the most difficult part. Can you explain that conversations about breaking up or just conversations in the relationship? Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, so... Some of the most important ways of having these conversations, again, are sort of rooted in the way we approach the conversations um, as an outsider or a friend or a family member for those that are in these relationships. And so there are a few key um, things that we recommend focusing on. The first is, and again, this applies to people who are in the relationship or outside, is to really focus on the behaviors and not the person in the relationship. And so when you are talking to a friend about a relationship that you're, you're unsure of or uncomfortable about, our instinct is to say, break up with that person. They're, they're not good for you. They're mean to you. This isn't a good relationship. 
But those statements are actually demonstrating the same set of controlling behaviors that the partner is demonstrating and is likely to put the person in a defensive position um, and further isolate you from or isolate them from you and your friends and their friends. And so instead, being able to enter the conversation um, in a more open-ended way and really focusing on the behaviors. And so instead of accusing the person, being able to ask questions about their behaviors and say things like, you know, I noticed that your partner waits for you after class every day. Uh, how does that make you feel? Or I noticed you've been skipping soccer practice lately. We really miss you. Um, what have you been doing and where have you been? Um, and, and are you okay with that? Or I saw on Instagram that you and your partner went on vacation this weekend. What did you guys do? And did you have fun together? And being able to create a space for your partner, your friends, to reflect on their relationship is really important. Um, and, again, asking those open, honest questions in, in good times and in bad. And so being able to create that tone with your friends where you're talking about relationships and demonstrating your that you care about them and that you want them to be in a happy relationship from the beginning is really important. Too often in society, we um, convey that sort of the sense that relationships are personal or private or not our business as a friend. And really, if we care about our friends, we should be caring about all aspects of their life, which often relationships are very important aspects. So being able to start those conversations is really important. Um, and the other piece is um, that often as a friend, you'll be... Um, likely to be pushed away from, from your friend in the relationship because of this act of sort of isolation and being able to continue to be there for a friend is really hard, but really important. And so um, being able to continue to just reach out to your friend and say, just, you know, I'm here for you um, on a regular basis is really important because it is really hard to have these relationships when you're in, I mean, there's conversations when you're in a relationship and, when your friend gets to a point where they're ready to address what's going on and they might start these conversations with their partner and, and in, in really abusive situations, those conversations will be shut down and not comfortable or um, not productive. And it's at that point where they, the friends will start turning and looking for their friends. And after they've been isolated, they're often not there. And so being a friend and being present and being um, clear that you're there is, is incredibly important. So one love's mission is also to train others not to be bystanders and proactively make a difference when one sees signs of abuse. How does one do this? A lot of this starts actually with the way we, uh, the norms we create as a community and the way we interact around relationships. And so even before you see unhealthy behaviors, it's really important to be um a recognizing and celebrating and supporting those in healthy healthy relationships and behaviors but also being comfortable calling out the things that you see that might not be healthy one of the things that actually in our middle school curriculum we root in is these phrases um hashtag that's love or that's not love with the idea that it's a simple easy phrase that can be applied to a lot of things in our lives it can be you know when you see a friend making fun of their other friend's hair, being able to say, hey, that's not love. That's, that's, not, that's not cool. It's not nice. Um, and being able to, again, whether it's your friends or people you're seeing in, in the hallways, being able to recognize and, and acknowledge people when they're doing great things and sort of that that's love mentality or calling people out and saying, that's not, 
that's not love and that's not something that, that I'm comfortable or with or that we're comfortable with. Because so much of um, what we've created a society is because of the way we and our peers act. And so when you see something that in your gut doesn't seem right between two people and you look around to your friends and the other people around you and no one else acts, it sort of just, again, it normalizes those behaviors and makes you, gives you the sense that it must not be that bad or I must be overreacting. But having that voice and being able to recognize um, and say something again, whether it's your friend or not, being able to um, pull them aside afterwards and say, I noticed that, and again, really focusing on the behaviors, being able to say, I noticed that your partner did X or Y. How did that make you feel? Is there, any, is there anything I can do to help? And again, just being... Um, an open voice and um, and again focusing on the behaviors soon after they happen is really important. Or mentioning it to someone who could make a difference for this person who's exactly. a resource. Oh, def- definitely. definitely. Yeah. Going to a friend or an adult or somebody else who, who might have a closer relationship exactly is, is very important as well. Time for a quick break and we'll be back with Healthy Relationships with Megan Shackleton. Generous support of KXSF San Francisco Community Radio comes from Charles Neal Selections. Since 1998, San Francisco-based Charles Neal Selections has been an importer and distributor of fine wines and spirits for wholesalers, retail stores, and restaurants across 17 states. Learn more about Charles Neal's focus on imports from family-owned operations throughout France by visiting the website at charlesnealselections.com. Thanks for your support. 102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Back to the discussion about open communication with Megan Shackleton. Don't most people learn how to have a relationship from their role models, such as their parents? So parents and role models are very important people in um, in setting an example for, for what it means to be in a healthy relationship. Um, but being having grown up in a family where you've only experienced healthy relationships does not uh, keep you from finding yourself in these situations and being a, potentially a victim of an abusive relationship. And I think there's a few reasons for that, but one major reason is the fact that beyond what we see in the home, the messages that we're seeing through popular media, through TV, radio, music, um, movies, current events are really uh, amplifying unhealthy relationships and romanticizing unhealthy relationship behaviors. And we often talk to young people about the difference between healthy passion and unhealthy passion. And very often in our media, we're seeing examples of unhealthy passion that are glorified and celebrated and seen as romantic. You know, we often um, will talk, I often think about The Notebook, which is the New York Times said it was the most romantic movie of all time. But in the first scene, Ryan Gosling is hanging from a Ferris wheel, threatening to drop if the girl who's on a date with another person won't go out with him. 
which everyone says, like, oh, well, Ryan Gosling, so it's romantic. But really, it's a person who's threatening self-harm and manipulating another person out of an existing relationship with the goal of getting them to go on a date, which is just completely not okay. Um, we see in movies, you know, somebody going to the same coffee shop that they saw somebody at every day waiting to see them. It's actually kind of stalking and not okay. And so being able to recognize that we, we've normalized these behaviors through our media. And so then when you experience them, even if they give you that feeling in your gut that this is kind of creepy or kind of makes me uncomfortable or feels not safe um, or feels it doesn't feel right, we sort of push those feelings down because we've it's that those feelings are trumped um, by the sense that, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to want in a relationship, or this is what love is, or this is what passion must be, um, because because young people don't know any better, and, and there's nothing that's helping them understand any better, even when they have wonderful examples of healthy relationships at home. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that aside from all those messages, um, these behaviors sneak up on you. And so even when um, you have very amazing positive examples of healthy relationships in your life, um, you might think that's what you're embarking in at the beginning stages of relationship. And because of the, manipu- the subtle manipulation tactics, um, you can very quickly find yourself in a relationship that looks very different than those healthy relationships you've been surrounded by that you didn't realize you were was sort of the slippery slope that you were getting yourself into. Um, and then it's very hard to, to get back out. So um, conveying and setting examples of healthy relationships as parents is so important but also recognizing that that in and of itself is not enough to keep somebody from, from from potentially being a victim of these unhealthy behaviors. Well, you're blowing my bubble that some of my favorite shows <laughs> may not be showing the most healthy relationships. I know. It's, it's after we, we joke that it's almost like um, that last scene in The Wizard of Oz, that it's all black and white until at the very end where it's all of a sudden in technicolor and then you can never go back to black and white again. Once you start recognizing these behaviors, it sort of ruins a lot of shows. We, we joke at One Love that there's not a lot that we can watch anymore that we can celebrate or recognize as healthy relationships because so much of what we're seeing is is unfortunately unhealthy. But it's but it's so important for us to be able to recognize those things and um, and be able to call it out. Well, you just mentioned parents having conversations with their children, but it's difficult. What should they do? It really, it really can be. Um, the biggest piece of advice we give to parents is to start the conversation before your kids are even in a relationship that you're concerned about. Um, start the conversation young, and they can be as young as elementary school. Start having conversations about what it means to be in a healthy relationship um, around friendships. Help them understand what it means to have open communications, set boundaries, and understand, um, give words to some of those things that they might experience with their friends where they're... Um, you know, all kids hear those phrases like, you can't be friends with her if you're going to be friends with me, or, you know, these different behaviors and being able to recognize that that's control and that's not okay is really important. Um, there are also a few themes that we learned um, directly from survivors of abuse who we talked to about uh, the things that adults in their life did or said that were most effective and the things that they wish they had done or said. And so a few of those key themes are around being so the way we talk to young people about relationships, again, outside of the relationship itself. And so one is there was this sort of implicit social pressure to be in a relationship. Most of those parents didn't say, we expect you to be in a relationship, but things like, 
who are you going out with on Friday night? Or I noticed you haven't had a, a girlfriend recently. Or um, who's your prom date? Those kinds of things. Just sort of convey this sense that being in a relationship is something we should be striving towards. Instead of saying, all, all we care about for you is that you're in a happy and healthy relationship. Being independent is also equally important. And um, a relationship for the sake of a relationship is not something that we want for you. And on the flip side, another really important theme was that there was this sense that a relationship not working or ending a relationship would be seen as a failure. These kids are so um, concerned about, you know, success succeeding. And so there's this sense that a relationship not working would be seen as, you know, failing your test or, you know, blowing the soccer game or whatever it might be. And helping Angela understand that, as we all know as adults, we will move in and out of relationships throughout our lives. That is normal. That is healthy. That is important. Um, but it doesn't mean success or failure. And helping them understand that relationship ending, even if it's not abusive or unhealthy, is okay. And you're, you're able to move on and, um, and that that's okay. Um, another theme was that there was a concern that um, parents had developed close relationships with their, with their children's partners. Um, and sometimes even closer relationships than the partner might have at home or their, their, or their parents might be friends or whatever it might be. And again, um, being able to be clear with your kids that their happiness and health comes first and that it's great. It's great to be friends with your, um, your, your children's partners, but making it clear that they're, that should that relationship not work out, it's okay. And that that will not hurt you or hurt them, um, is an important point. And then the last thing I would say is that there was this, a really important sense that came through around uh, the messaging that was conveyed by adults around the significance of physical abuse <clears throat> and the sense that, you know, often when people left the relationship, it was when they uh, were first experiencing physical abuse from their partner and a voice in their head came back saying, you know, if anybody ever raises their hand to you, I, I won't stand for that, whether that was a dad or a father or a um, brother or mother, whoever it might have been. And what we need parents to convey is that same sense of intensity around what you deserve in terms of the emotional sentiment in a relationship. And it can't take getting to physical abuse for someone to recognize that the line has been crossed. We need adults to be very clearly conveying that emotional abuse is abuse and it is not okay and you deserve something different and better. You deserve respect. You deserve um, happiness. You deserve trust. All of those things and really reinforcing the healthy behaviors and saying these are the things that that we won't stand for for you in a relationship and that you shouldn't stand for to help people recognize that the line actually needs to be very clearly around emotional abuse because it is not okay. So as adults, we have to send very conscious messages as to what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and as to whether we're putting pressure without knowing it on them. Um, What about the technology aspect uh, it's so social media. It's so big. How does that play into it, and what can we do about it? It is ter- it is terrifying. Um, there is um, a whole new set of uh, manipulation tools today that exist because of technology. Uh, social media, on its own, uh, isn't has issues within it because of the way people communicate through it. So people, as we know, we typically are posting our best selves online. That is also true of the way we post our relationships. So 
social media in and of itself is uh, a dangerous tool. Typically post our best selves online, as we know, but that's also true of the way we post ourselves in relationships. Uh, and we actually have a whole curriculum around this called Behind the Post because so often we take what we see on a post at face value. And when somebody's posting pictures of them and their partner that look happy and their friends start commenting things like, Hashtag relationship goals, or you guys are so cute, or I wish I could be like you, and liking the pictures. And actually, it, it for one thing, um, hides the person in the relationship, what they were experiencing behind the post, the things that were the unhealthy or abusive behaviors that that they might be seeing that they're not, their friends aren't seeing, and. Um, and gives them a false sense of what their relationship is. And it also gives them this desire to want to continue to convey that positive side of the relationship. And so continuing to post those types of things, where we encourage young people to do is actually pause and when they see those pictures and call their friend and say, I saw you guys took a trip this weekend. What did you do? How did it go? And, you know, using it as a tool to ask questions rather than um, assume that what you're seeing in social media is the truth. And, Social media often becomes a highlight reel for some in abusive relationship. They might be close to breaking up with their partner, and then they go back to social media, and they see all these happy pictures and these positive comments and, and come to believe that that's, you know, that's the relationship they want to have and they want to come back to when really it's not the picture of what the relationship really is. Well, there must be revenge pictures on social media too, right? Yeah, that too. There's definitely the other side. And I would also say that technology provides a tool more broadly around sort of manipulation and control through um, everything from the geo features to um, just the ability to, to um, communicate via text in other ways, um, where it used to be if you were out and, and didn't, you know, before cell phones, you just wouldn't be able to reach the person, which was actually kind of good. Um, where now, you know, there are things like you'll see young people sharing their find my phone password so that their they, their partner can literally find them at any time. Um, or you'll hear about partners who will get angry at their partner because they haven't responded to their text, but yet they saw them open a Snapchat or like something on Instagram. And those are all just ways of continuing to monitor and track and ultimately control your partner. Um, so, again, it, it really reinforces the importance of those technology boundaries and setting those boundaries up front and being clear about what you're comfortable with and and being confident in your wanting and desire for safe and healthy technology boundaries. Um, no matter how much you trust and respect your partner, it, you don't deserve, you don't owe them your passwords. Um, and you don't owe them this information. And somebody, if they really respect you, they won't demand it. And they'll understand that that's not an expectation in a relationship. So understanding how to use technology in a healthy way and setting those boundaries is really important, especially when, um, when again, these young people are sort of normalizing some of these behaviors. Like, we'll hear young people say, wait, you mean I don't have to give her my password? And, and, and it, the partner may have been intending it for totally healthy uses. But being able to say, no, you don't, you don't have to. And... This is a choice and, and one that you're able to make, and that's perfectly fine, and your partner should respect that. So it's very important um, at this day and age to be really thoughtful about how you utilize technology in a relationship. Okay, quick call to action. What are, for our listeners, what are the top three or four steps that's important for them to think about when they're in a relationship or they're watching someone in a relationship? 
Yeah, and I think generally the the first thing I would say, I think the first thing I would say is the importance of just starting this conversation. Thinking about, I would I would encourage everyone to take a step back and think about the relationships in your life, um, the people you care about, um, and and start the conversation. Whether it's with your kids, talking about what it means to be in a healthy relationship, and helping them to start to set that tone. Um, reflecting on the TV shows you watch together or the movies you watch, and being able to um, start that conversation about what we're, what you're seeing. Um, if it means going to your own partner and talking about the ways you want to be healthier in your relationship or the things that you want to be able to do differently to help improve your relationship, just starting the conversation is is huge. Um, the other piece I would encourage is uh, if you know if you're if you're connected to young people or um, want to get the education out, we provide one love provides this education free of charge to schools. Uh, we have an office here in the Bay Area, and we've got a presence across the country. And uh, we utilize a train-the-trainer model where really anybody can take our, our educational tools and workshops and bring them into the classroom or into a community group or a religious group, whatever it might be. Um, we want this education to reach young people, and we want to reach them sooner. So anyone from middle school and up, we have tools for. So I would encourage you to look at joinonelove.org to learn how you can bring this education to others or to reach out to us at info at joinonelove.org. Um, and, and again, I think at the end of the day, it's about starting, starting the conversation. And um, we're never going to change the norm if we aren't comfortable um, just um, talking about relationships in an open and honest way. And so I would encourage everyone to, to think about your relationships and start that conversation. Well, thank you for joining me on Spark Today, Macon. Thank you so much for having me.